Um, and we grew up poor. Um, we grew up, I grew up in a kind of tin shack. Uh, the shop was in the tin shack and, uh, I don't think we saw tap water running tap water, uh, until I was probably, I don't know, nine, 10 years of age. And this is a podcast called walk, talk, listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with uh, today's guest who will introduce himself. Uh, Kim, please go ahead. Hi everyone, my name is Kim Tan, uh, originally from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was where I grew up. Parents were immigrants from China. Uh, My dad came to Malaysia at the age of 18 with nothing except shirt on his back and Mm -hmm was a uh, laborer uh, and then ran a small business, um, initially selling vegetables and fruit and then provisions. Um, And we grew up poor. Um, We grew up, I grew up in a kind of tin shack. Uh, The shop was in the tin shack and I don't think we saw tap water, running tap water, uh, until I was probably, I don't know, nine, ten years of age. And, wow. and, and, and where did you grow up in, in Malaysia? Where, where exactly? Just uh, in, in, a, in a rubber estate kind of, uh, you know, rural Malaysia surrounded mm. by rubber estates and, uh, and paddy fields. Mm. Um, so, um, but I, I, I had parents who sacrificed everything for us to be educated. Uh, my, my dad, uh, his father died at the age of 13. So had to leave school, uh, after that and, uh, went to work, mm. uh, selling pots and pans and crockery. Um, so, you know, we've, uh, been, um, gifted really by, by sacrificial parents who sacrifice everything for our education. Mm-hmm. Nine out of 10 kids were sent to university education. Wow. That's uh, out of that small business, yeah. uh, that my dad ran. And I was fortunate enough to have a scholarship to come to the UK and, and then, uh, did my university here. And, and then courtesy uh, of the generosity of the British government, I had scholarships to do my PhD uh, in biotechnology and biochemistry, and then did three postdoctorate fellowships after that. So that was really my first career. Yeah. I think I was going to be a, a, a scientist, and then I, I then bailed out because mm-hmm. I realized I wasn't smart enough to win a Nobel Prize. So <laughs> I bailed out and, and started building uh, my biotech company uh, and ended up uh, selling it after about seven years. Cut my teeth there and realized I was a lousy CEO. I, I didn't enjoy making the same product uh, every day. 
Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a butterfly. I, I love doing new things. Uh, so ended up uh, investing in, in my capital and in a bunch of other biotechs. I uh, was fortunate enough to either sell or list some of them and uh, ended up running a biotech uh, VC fund, hmm. investing in new technologies around drugs, um, new drugs and, and new diagnostics. Uh, and 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 then on a uh, on a visit to South Africa uh, some 22 years ago, mm-hmm. um, I I took my family to uh, on a visit to the largest uh, township outside Cape Town called Kailicha, uh, with about you know about a million uh, people living in 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 slum conditions there. And became disillusioned, really, uh, Morris, with with my own kind of thinking and my own uh, philanthropy, mm. because you know all along I thought you know by writing checks to charities, you know that was how we could transform things uh, amongst mm-hmm. the poor. But what I saw there really disillusioned me, and um, and you know I realized that I could write some more checks but it wasn't going to make any difference we're going to change mm-hmm. things and that really was a kind of damascus road moment and that i i just felt a calling to move into my third career out of biotech uh mm-hmm. into what i then call social uh, venture capital mm-hmm. there was no we had no terminology at the time um but because i came from a vc background yeah. You know, my thinking was, can you use a kind of venture capital kind of approach, but not in, in this social sector without expecting the kind of Silicon Valley type returns? And that really came from my own observation of and, and experience in, in, in Southeast Asia. You know, Africa has received the equivalent of six Marshall plans mm-hmm. over a 50 year period. Uh, and not much has changed. Mm-hmm. Whereas Southeast Asia, the Asia tiger economies, just had foreign investors coming in and and building small, medium-sized enterprises, creating jobs for our people, upskilling us, and then uh, stimulating a generation of local entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to to go and build businesses, either to be their suppliers and then eventually, ultimately, become being their competitors. Mm-hmm. And I thought. Africa, Africa is not going to be any different, you know, and no country historically has ever been transformed through aid and charity. Uh, it's always been transformed through enterprise, through investments and, and job creation and so on. So that was the beginning of, of, of a journey to, to sort of mm-hmm. um, uh, use my resources, uh, my experience, my gifts and talents now to um, intentionally build businesses uh, amongst the poor that can have a long-term transformation. Hmm. And uh, before, before you, I ask you to share that part, Kim, I, I would like to take one step back because you went very fast, you know, from your upbringing to, to you know, your amazing career. But you, I, when I listen to you, you're saying two things that has me wondering is, you know, one is, you know, nine out of the 10 children went to university. Um, and so, so that's that's pretty amazing. So 
which you know child number one two were you the youngest where were you i was and in the middle i was number you six were in the middle yeah. and, and are the are these are the <laughs> older children have they similar careers uh not quite um mm -hmm. you know i have i have sisters uh who are accountants mm -hmm. um interior designers uh i have a brother who's a plastic surgeon a consultant plastic okay. surgeon a brother who is a, a businessman running a, a supermarket um mm -hmm. we've all had ended up doing different careers mm -hmm. um, but you know all had uh, the benefit of, of of higher education yeah i mean it's fascinating right i mean that, that out of a, b a big family um out of a poor big family it, it, yeah. when i listen to you all all of your brothers and sisters were are are doing or, or were doing well um th that's pretty amazing um, yeah and and you know Morris, in, in, this, in a sense that has shaped my thinking quite mm -hmm. a bit you know that yeah. from a small medium-sized business mm -hmm. you know with sacrifice um you can transform the economics of of, of a poor family in mm -hmm. one generation and, and are your parents still alive? No, sadly, okay, my sorry. my dad passed away about six, seven years ago, and mom died uh, two, um, almost two years ago now. Okay, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. and and so the the most of your family are they in the UK or are they in Malaysia or are they all over the world? We're all over. Uh, we, okay. we were in Malaysia, Singapore, Australia, and the UK. Yeah. Thank you. So I, I I was interrupting you because we were now at it ultimately led to your TBN, uh, right? Um, to the yeah, tell 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 about you know your third career. Yeah. So so what I what I found really was when you have money, the easiest thing to do is to write a check and then forget about it. What is really difficult is to give your time. And, and and what I found uh, I was being challenged about was really how do I give of my time? Uh, and uh, and I fell in love with South Africa after that, mm -hmm. that visit and wanted to go back and do something there, build a business there. Mm -hmm. Long story, uh, how I ended up in the poorest province mm -hmm. in South Africa called the Eastern Cape, because I thought if I'm going to keep flying in from London, I was going to do the really tough, tough stuff, right? Uh, and um, long story, in the end, I, I, I ended up deciding to, to build a safari game park. Hmm. Um, in the middle of nowhere, we bought 40,000 acres of degraded farmland that nobody hmm. wanted. Um, and then fence about 75 kilometers of elephant-proof fencing, brought big animals back into that part of South Africa for the first mm -hmm. time in 150 years. There have been no big animals there uh, for that length of time. And then built a, a five-star lodge uh, and intended to use um, an ecotourism approach to fund conservation, but also to catalyze transformation in a community. So intentionally creating jobs for uh, the people in the community. Uh, how do we uplift livelihood? How do we help them 
to move from having, you know, one meal a day to three meals a day? How do we move to getting them uh, to have a living wage so that they can start to save and send their kids to school and send their kids to tertiary education? So those are some of the metrics that we uh, have measured over, over time. Um, but I, I realized, Mars, when I was doing this, that on my own, I couldn't change hearts and minds. Um, but what was needed was a movement to persuade the Western mindset uh, to, to think more about investing in Africa rather than doing aid and charity. You know, we've got this certain bias uh, towards uh, Africa in terms of aid and, and, and charity. Uh, whereas if we think about Southeast Asia, or we think about uh, China or maybe even India, we're now thinking investments, right? But we're not thinking investments when we think of, of Africa. So what was needed was a movement, and that's how we started this um, network called the Transformational Business Network, TBN. And it, mm -hmm. it's we today we describe it really as a network of several thousand disillusioned philanthropists and repentant bankers. Mm. Um, and what we say to, to business people is, you know, I don't just need your money. I need your time. I need you to come with me on a trip uh, out uh, uh, on what we call holidays in the slums. Uh, and, mm. and go walk walk the slums and then see if we can find some businesses, uh, some business entrepreneurs uh, and put a more robust business plan, put patient capital, put mentoring, put management training in and help these businesses to, to grow to, to scale. Um, so our sweet spot really is to find a business employing three, five people and getting them to 50, 100 employees, uh, because I think it's at that stage that they then become uh, sustainable. You know, mm -hmm. if if businesses, uh, from my VC experience, if businesses are too small or they're undercapitalized, they're forever just going from hand to mouth, spending more time fundraising than, you know, running their business and growing their business. Mm -hmm. So so we take a more... Um, I would say a discipline approach, a more VC type approach, and make sure that we give them enough uh, fuel uh, for them to 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 get to, to profitability. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's what the, the TBN network's about. We uh, are in several different countries in Asia and Africa, and what we do is we screen business plans. I think about you know two hundred or so a year. Mm -hmm. About 100 every six months, and 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 then we select maybe 30 or so businesses that we mentor for six months to get them to be investment ready. We get their legals, their accounting, their character, which is the first piece that we build in, um, and um, and then get their strategy and business plans ready uh, to then pitch to investors, and and you know we then bring uh, our network of of funds and, and high net worth families to come and listen to the pitch mm. and then provide patient capital that way. So today, um, you know, we, in, in addition to doing that, we've been challenging people who have been running VC funds and PE funds to leave their day jobs mm -hmm. and come and, and run these kinds of social impact funds with us. And today, uh, within the network, probably about 
nine, 10 of these funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do anything from $10,000 per deal uh, on a private basis to a quarter of a million dollars for a club investment, right up to funds that can do half a million to $2 million and funds that can now do $15 million per deal. Mm-hmm. So we need that to build that ecosystem so that these um, entrepreneurs are not going to run out of cash and, and crash and burn. So that's that's a little about mm-hmm. uh, about about TBN. We we uh, we run conferences um, yeah, yearly to sort of bring more people together, bring more investors in, into the space, um, and and help to connect these entrepreneurs together with uh, with investors. Okay, and and we'll make sure that uh, you know the website of TBN is also mentioned in the podcast notes. But just a, a question to you. So what I understood is, so there is a global TBN network, and then you have Asia, you have North America. Yeah, well. we, have, we have Asia, we have, we have uh, East Africa, Uganda, uh, mm-hmm. Kenya particularly, uh, and, and now uh, in the U.S. And we are hoping this year to start something in uh, South America as well, or Central, Central America from, from with the U.S. guys. So if, if there is an organization or a, a person, an entrepreneur, um, you know, with, with an idea, how, how should that person or the or the group of people, what what are the steps that they should take to, to reach out to TVN to see if there is a fit? Well, first of all, they've got to be in the country where we are active, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, because this is very much passion led. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a passion and you're not on the ground, it, it is very difficult. So it has to be in countries that we are operating. We're just about to start some a new fund and a TBN in, in the Philippines because they've been coming to, you know, the conferences in, in Southeast Asia with us. So so it has to be in the country. And then if, 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 if there are, you know, if we're there uh, already, then just connect, just contact uh, TBN locally um, and... Um, and you know they will either get invited to to come along to um, to take part in the program, or if they are sizable enough, they can then be introduced to the global network of of investors. Great. Okay. Um, let us. I have a couple of questions about about you. Um, so, you know, I, I know that you're very active around TBN. You're, you know, started with your vision. Um, yeah, you know, what what makes you, you know, in the morning that you get out of bed? What drives you? Um, several things, really. I mean, the motivations, uh, uh, I would say, twofold. One is clearly my background. When you grow up poor, um, and you've then been blessed with um, resources. Um, you can either completely forget about your background, or you you think that you you've been so blessed uh, that so that you can bless others. Uh, so so that is is a big part of my motivation. The other part is really my own Christian faith, um, my own understanding. I came to to faith uh, just before university. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was really this attractiveness 
of how the early church lived and practiced their faith. Uh, in Acts 1 to Acts 3 and Acts 4, you know, that community was just fantastic. You know, out of love for one another, they shared everything they had. Uh, and no one, uh, you know, sort of uh, claimed anything as belonging to them only. They were able to sell excess land and, and share it with one another. And these were typical strangers uh, in Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. Um, and, you know, when, when, when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's something. Um, if, if that's what Christianity is about, you know, then sign me up. So, so, you know, that led me to really understand that so much of, of God's heart is for the poor. You know, and again, again, we, we, we read that in particularly the cry of the prophets. Um, and then I had a, 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 a journey from uh, in, in the Torah and I came to a fresh understanding of what the Jubilee meant. You know, the Jubilee was an amazing economic program uh, where, you know, every three years you had, a, you had to bring 10% of what you had to the town hall and shared it with strangers and widows and orphans, you know. And then every seventh year, a debt cancellation and the release of slaves and, and a year's holiday from work for the animals, for your servants, for your slaves, and for the land. Even the land got to rest. So it was a clear instruction not to exploit and rape the land. Uh, that we had to be good stewards. And then every 50 years here to sort of find that we have to return properties and a kind of reset button that God intended for Israel to uh, reset so that everybody returned to the original plot of land that God had given them. And, in, and, and the discovery that in one generation, they went from being slaves in Egypt, owning nothing and being owned by somebody to become landowners. In the land of prophecy in one generation. And that was the piece of land. Every family had a piece of land. That was their asset. And and every 50th year, God reset the button and um, pressed the reset button and everybody went back to their land and they all started afresh. So there was a real sense of, of justice and social justice and, and the vision and the picture that God has given us is, is that of shalom, of peace, of wholesomeness, of, you know, people gathering together and, and uh, sitting under their vineyard, uh, vine and, and fig trees and, and having meals and sharing fellowship. That's shalom. So it's always been God's intention and, and you know, God's heart's really for the poor. Um. I would like to piggyback on a couple of things you just mentioned because I, you know, well, you know, uh, I've talked to many different folks about um, their drive and and how to make this world uh, more sustainable. Um, if you look at at the world that we have created for ourselves, um, yeah, how do you look at it now? And 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 you you have to see. Uh, Maybe my question in the light of 
I have some guests who were saying, well, we have developed a system that's only extracting. It's not, humanity is not in the right balance with nature anymore. Um, so how, how do you see the world that we have created? I, I think the, the Jewish uh, teachers have it right. They, they have a phrase called tikkun olam, which means that to repair, to fix the world that is in a state of disrepair. So it's a broken world. It's not just nature that's broken. Human society is broken. Human uh, individuals are broken. And we are called to go and bring restoration both at the individual level, at societal level, community level, uh, at na nation level, and, you know, at planet level. Um, this brokenness um, is, is everywhere, and, and that's what we're called to do. Okay. Um, Tim, the, this, this podcast is a, is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started in 2012 to raise awareness and funds, you know, uh, to end hunger, uh, poverty and injustice. If, um, and I just finished my 11th walk to, <laughs> two, two weeks ago or so, I came back injured as, as my <laughs> listeners know, but I'm, I'm recovering, it's going better. Um, if, if you would be asked to walk a hundred mile in five to seven days, so 15 to 20 miles a day, uh, for which cause would you do it? Yeah, I, I, I would, I would stick with the TBN cause, um, because, you know, yeah, I, I, I can give money to charity and and so on, but you know, it's a plaster. Uh, you know, we we need to, to fix the underlying problem, and and so the long, you know, there there will always be a need for charity. There will always be a need for aid. You know, if you have a humanitarian crisis, that that's what you need. But I think for long-term transformation of, of communities, um, Mars, I, I, I don't see any other way of doing it. You know, we, we've got to, to, to go in, make the investment, create real jobs for people. Because, you know, part of my own theology is that God created man for work. You know, where there's unemployment, where there is, um, you know, a lack of, of, of work um, is dehumanizing. You know, and somehow when you when you create jobs, you you restore something in God's image uh, in, in in people. So yeah, I, 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 my walk would be to sort of find more of these local entrepreneurs yeah. and and back and support them. Mm -hmm. oh, great. Um... You know, during those walks, I'm, I'm often accompanied by, you know, what I call co-walkers. They walk with me for a mile or five or ten, some the whole, sometimes the whole day. And, um, you know, what, what happens to me is, is um, yeah, I start thinking about life and then discussing with the co-walkers about spirituality and, and religion. And, and very often then we make the link about, okay, what is happening with the younger generation and how is that different from the older so my question to you is about that, is what do you see happening among youth and spirituality and, and religion in your community? I think there is a growing um, disillusionment with religion. Um, 
you know, religion is is for many of the young people just irrelevant, um, and uh, you know they they you know if you if you ask them to read the Old Testament, it'll be a totally strange book, um, and it it, it just, religion is just uh, irrelevant. Uh, and another thing is just the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I think many other faiths, uh, especially faiths where there is a freedom to be uh, an atheist or agnostic. There are certain faiths that where you are not allowed to 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 be an atheist or or agnostic. But you know, I, so I think uh, for for the young people, uh, certainly both here and and in Asia, I think one they are finding religion is irrelevant. You know, and it, and it's too sort of um, uh, too much of the establishment uh, in, in in religion. I, I but at the same time, what we are finding is is a growing interest in spirituality. So even though they hmm. are not religious, mm-hmm. because religion is, you know, and this is where I I, I, I try and, and say to people there is a difference between being religious and being being a Christian. Um, religion is 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 you know is is saying you you be good and then God will be your friend, right? God can only be a friend if you're good. Christianity is, is is a religion of grace, you know, and it's saying God loves you as you are now, and then He will help you to be good. So, so you don't have to be good first to 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 mm-hmm. to, to have this faith, uh, and 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 that's therein lies the difference between a religion and my own understanding of being a follower of Jesus. But the young people, are, I think, are very interested in spirituality. They, they, you know, in 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 their hearts, they there there is a cry for something that is beyond themselves. Um, and um, but if that's not filled properly, they fill it with other things. They can fill it with drugs. They can fill it with materialism. So you had groups that are pursuing drugs. Yes. <laughs> You know, groups that pursue materialism to fill uh, that blank, that that emptiness, and and so I think, you know, I think Pascal, you know, who said there is a God-shaped blank in our hearts, and uh, you know, if we don't fill it with God, we then we'll fill it with other stuff. So, the onus is back on us, Morris. How do we practice our faith in such a way that it'll be attractive? So it's not seen as religious, um, but um, seen to be a, a vibrant, exciting uh, faith uh, as, as, as followers of Jesus. So if, if I listen to you carefully, does TBN does work with the younger generation as well and does work with non-Christians as well? Yes, okay. we, we we call ourselves uh, we describe ourselves as faith based but not faith biased. Mm. Uh, we will work with people of of all faiths and and no faiths because it gives us an opportunity to rub shoulders. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
what are some of the things that you worry about at the moment, uh, Kim? I think for me, um, the, the, the two big issues um, are, you know, environmental degradation. And the second one is growing inequalities. The two are kind of related as well. Uh, with environmental degradation, we are seeing huge areas that have now experienced drought that they never experienced before. And with that, it's causing people to migrate and migrations creates all kinds of social problems and creates more poverty and, and so on. So, you know, the two are related together. Um, the, the, you know, the pandemic has shown us um, that, you know, we may, we may be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Uh, some were in liners and they were fine. Uh, some of us, you know, I was in a liner, I was fine. But some were in these, uh, you know, these rickety um, boats that, you know, that sank. Um, and, and, and the pandemic has shown us very clearly that poverty uh, is the cause for, can be the cause for um, environmental degradation as well. So we saw, we saw a lot of deforestation of forests during the pandemic because you know people have to chop trees to sell charcoal to put food on the table they have to go into your forest to shoot game to put meat on the table um so you know bush meat hunting was rife but you you can't blame them i say to my friends my western friends we should not judge unless we can provide alternatives it's very easy just, you know, for environmentalists to, to, to shout and say, you know, this is bad and so on. But, you know, what are the alternatives? You know, if we were parents, would we go and chop trees so they can put food on the table? I think so. I would. So, so for me, those are the two big issues. Mm -hmm. Ours and, and, you know, um, how, do we, how do we better steward the environment? planet um, you know as, as you know as God has charged us and then two how do we um, tackle some of these you know enduring um, poverty issues hmm. where do you still see hope I'm I'm always uh, hopeful I'm a, 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 an optimist uh, I, I think my hope comes from my faith. That's where my hope comes from, ultimately. Um, and, um, you know, I, I also have uh, hope because I've seen the transformation of countries, you know, that have sort of started on, on this journey of, of, uh, of uh, industrialization and and uh, enterprise, um, the tiger economies, yeah, clear example. So I, 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 I have hope. I believe the data is very, very clear. Um, it's, it's whether you know we have the resources. I think we have the talent. It's whether we have the political will to, to, to want to do it.
I, I have a question to you about that because I, I again with some of the guests we, we looked at you know what, what is then the indicator of success and um you know some of the things that I've heard is very often you know we look at countries and we see them as successful because their GDP is going up. Uh, a recent book by Gallup uh, called Blind Spot uh, saying, well, you know, actually that is a mistake. We need to look at happiness. Um, you know, if we looked at happiness indicator, then we would have predicted, uh, then we would have known that the Arab Spring, you know, was about to happen uh, as, as an example, is one of the examples in the book. What is your take on that? I think it's a mix, you know. Hmm. No, nobody can be happy in a slum surrounded by poverty, walking in sewage, right? Those are not good environments for human flourishing. So, um, I, you know, but having said that, um, you know, in, in, in among certain tribes in Africa, you are poor if you don't have friends. Hmm. So that's a salient lesson for us. You know, they can remain very happy uh, whilst being relatively poor. Um, but, you know, if you ask them, uh, you ask the poor, would you, would you like a, a better life for your children? They all say yes, right? So, so we've got to have some economic development, um, you know, to, to, to have that sense of, of, of happiness. You, you can't be happy if you're sick all the time. You can't be happy if your child gets cholera and typhoid every time there's a monsoon uh, in, in the slum. So, yeah, I, 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 think, uh, I think GDP is, is, is not everything it's cracked out to be, um, no question. And I, I think this is why today we're looking beyond a straight GDP bottom line uh, we're looking at you know people. We're looking at planet, uh, before, as well as profit. And now I think maybe we should be thinking about purpose mm -hmm. instead of three P's. We should be talking about the four P's, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of of people now working in in our corporations want to have purpose. You know, what's the purpose of of this corporation? What's the purpose of this company? Uh, what's my purpose in it? It's interesting that you mentioned the purpose because that's one of my previous guests, uh, Case Klomp, um, you know, talked about um, existential economics. Um, but he, he was saying that especially, you know, uh, the centennials, um, yeah, what their drive is, is purpose. Um, mm. so, so that's different than the millennials, for example. And again, you always have to be careful with generalizing, you know, whole generations. But it's, it's kind of interesting that purpose comes up um i would like us to take to to a framework that i personally like and always try to advocate for and that's the sustainable development goal mm -hmm. goals it's not perfect but at least as a world we had a discussion about it you know we said okay we need to to aim for those 17 goals my question uh, to you uh, about it is um what do you want the listeners to know about the sdgs about the global goals I think the SDGs have been put together by some, you know, consulting firms, um, you know, putting these uh, targets together. Um, and they're useful. You know, look, if, if always have a goal, because if you don't have a goal, 
you don't have a target, you're bound to you're bound to hit it. So it, it it's good to have these these targets. But unfortunately, I I think some of the the kind of thinking is a bit shallow. Let, let me tell you why. So we're all, you know, on this big rush towards renewable energy. And and you know, with the ESG and SDG stuff, it's it's all about that. But quite honestly, if we peel and, and look, you know, under the bonnet, you know, renewable energy is actually quite dirty. Lithium mining is ugly. Copper mining is ugly. Cobalt mining is poisoning our rivers in our Congo and causing uh, deformities in our children. So there is, n there is no perfect uh, target. Uh, even the social side, you look at the, at, at, at these uh, clean energy minerals mines, uh, the way they treat the the miners. I mean, it, it is it is horrible. What about the G? What about the the the, the governance side? And and you know, um, the, the the big corporations, Mars, structure their their companies using transfer pricing so that they don't pay taxes in the countries where they're generating their revenues, right? Through transfer pricing. So either locate their business in Ireland or Dubai or Mauritius or where Cayman Islands. So they don't have to pay these taxes. And the amount of tax that's, you know, tax avoidance that's going on in Africa is larger than the amount of aid that we give to the continent. So with all these targets, we need to just be a little circumspect, I think, uh, and, 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 you know, not, not to buy in completely. Even with, on, on, the, on the green sort of carbon trading side, Deutsche Bank has just been absolutely fine, you know, for all the greenwashing. And there will be impact washing, there'll be SDG washing. Um, so whilst I, 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 you know, I appreciate these targets, um, nevertheless, I, 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 you know, we would like to think a little more carefully uh, rather than this kind of simplistic, you know, we comply with SDG, you know, one to 17 or whatever. So um, yeah. You know, so that's, you know, mm -hmm. a slightly jaundiced view from the field. Yeah. And and no, let me, let me, um, again, piggyback on what you said. Um, I think a growing group of people, you know, m might actually agree with some of the things you said. And that's why they came up with the inner development goals. What they're saying is without paying proper attention to the skills, abilities and knowledge, that you need as an individual and as a community, you know, you're not going to reach those goals. That's why we are also behind. So they came up with five goals as a result mm -hmm. of a survey that they did. Being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. And I, I think um, what I think what you're alluding to is, you know, uh, have some, you know, to do some work on yourself and as a community in terms of you know, what is my own role within this? Um, what are my dark sides? What is my shadow sides in, in within this whole um, within this whole world? So, what do you think about about uh, the inner development goals? 
I, I don't know very much about it, but you know, mm -hmm. you know, it ultimately Mars is self character. Mm -hmm. You know, we will all sign up to the SDG goals, right? I don't know anybody who would say, "Oh, I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to sign up to." It. We will sign up to the ESG <laughs> goal, right? Uh, Enron had a sixty-page uh, code of ethics. I don't think anybody not signed it. Everyone signed it. So what does that say? So it's not about the ethics. It's about the character. It's about the individual. Um, and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, our own experiences when we take people out uh, on these transformational business uh, holidays in the slum, it's the individuals who come on this journey who get transformed, you know. It's not so much the community. The community get transformed. That's that's a bonus. But often it's just the individuals uh, who are themselves transformed, and and you know either go back and and change career uh, and have a more purposeful mm -hmm. career, mm -hmm. or um, restructure their business in 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 a way that is uh, more generous and and a better steward of of the planet, a better uh, employer. And you know, to to all their stack, stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, it needs needs to be the 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 individual and the personal transformation. You know, one of, one of the things that I hope uh, you know I'm kind of contributing to with this podcast is to connect people with each other. You know, like connecting you with with um, uh, my listeners. And connecting you also with previous guests. So I have a question of a previous guest for you, um, which is the following. My question for the next guest is, what do they believe the biggest cultural influence is right now in the United States? Uh, and what do they believe can impact it? Wow. I, I don't think, Mars, it's any different to any, any generation. Um, I think the, 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 the biggest influence on all our countries is mm -hmm. a basic addiction. Addiction to materialism. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we pursue materialism to the nth degree. Uh, if we can't pursue materialism, we have an addiction to, um, you know, drugs and medication, uh, or we have an addiction to um, sexual abuse. Um, these these are all human addictions, and we've had them in every generation, in every country. But maybe, maybe in recent times, it's just got worse. Um, certainly, the, the the drug addiction in the United States, uh, you know, for my interest in in the pharmaceutical industry, is is, is really bad in, in in a way that I've not seen before. Yeah. So. So yeah, and and the addiction to materialism is this this get rich quick kind of way and and you know stories of people who've just lost 
fortunes, lost houses through, you know, making crazy bets and um, crazy investments. Um, you know, it's it's that greed that drives us, right? So, and, you know, I've said many times, capitalism is a great system as long as there's no greed. As long as there's no sin, capitalism is a fantastic system. So yeah, I I I I think those will be exactly the same kind of influence that we have in, in most of the country, and we're seeing that in Asia now, ours. Well, what can we do to to reverse that? I think getting uh, you know getting our lives sorted out with our Creator, uh, and knowing that when we die. We can take nothing with us, right? So why are we so addicted to all these, you know, all these things? Um, and um, yeah, I think we we really do need to reconnect and and relate with our Creator because you know when we stand before Him, um, we are going to have to give an account. Uh, of ourselves, so so I I think that's you know, there's just this need. I think I think it was Mother Mother Teresa when when she came to to uh, the UK one time, she said, um, you know that 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 there is a a, a sort of epidemic of poverty uh, in in India where she worked. But in the UK, there's a poverty of loneliness, you know, an epidemic of, of, of loneliness. Um, and I think our loneliness stems from being disconnected from our creator. And when we reconnect with him and let, you know, our creator fill um, our hearts and our lives, uh, then, you know, then I think we can we can tackle some of these issues. Your question for the next guest. My question for your next guest. What is the one thing um, that he or she can do uh, that would transform a community uh, in any country that they, he or she chooses? Uh, music is very important to me, so I always have a question about music as well. Um, if I ask you to mention a piece of music or a song, that embodies for a big part what you are about, uh, which piece of music wow. or song would that be and why? That's a tough one. That's a really tough one because, you know, it's considered I considered to be my most difficult question <laughs> by all my guests. <laughs> I, 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 I love different types of music and so on. Um, I, I, in the last week or so, been uh, listening to some of Bert Bacharach's songs because he he passed away and he was an amazing songwriter um so you know some of the stuff uh, you know just been just refreshing myself but I, I guess if i had to choose one probably 
uh, is the uh, Josh uh, Goblin one. Uh, you lift me up so I can stand on mountains. You lift me up to walk on troubled seas. And you lift me up so to so that I can be more than I can be. Be more than I can be. I'm strong when I'm on your shoulders. Yeah, I probably, you know, and, and that relates to your walk as well. Mm. You know, at times when, when you don't want to walk, maybe you should go on somebody's shoulders. Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and is that, is that um, you know, because you want to be, you know, we're looking for somebody that will carry you or are you carrying? I think it's both. I mean, there are times when I need to be carried. And then there are uh, times when I have to carry others. And, and just to remind the listeners, all the songs that are selected, uh, picked by my guests are, you know, you can find in, in uh, Spotify and when you search for hashtag walk, talk, listen, all those songs that have been selected by my guests are all together there. So it's it's a lot of fun to listen to. Right. <laughs> um, you know, St Steve Hartman of, of CBS um, in, in the US examines at the moment uh how one simple act of kindness creates a rippling effect, and if it can. Mm. I have two questions for you about this. One is, what do you think about the concept of one simple act of kindness and its potential to create a rippling effect? That's the first part of the question. The second part is, if I ask you to do one simple act of kindness this week, what would you do? I, I think that one single act of kindness thing is, is, is real. Um, I, you know, my dad was finally able to build his business because, you know, a, a rubber estate manager, uh, from the, from England gave him his first contract to transport latex from the rubber estate to the port. And in my personal case, I was given a scholarship to a school, which was a fee-paying school, a private school in the UK, a 500-year-old school founded by the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, called Whitgift. And it was the act of kindness of the headmaster to say, you can come here on scholarship. That not only transformed my academic uh, life, that was also where I met up with other Christians who showed me, uh, you know, what the Christian faith was about, who introduced me to C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer uh, and A.W. Tozer. You know, so I, I, I think, I, I do believe in these acts of kindness, Mars. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I do, and 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 we and we do it all the time in opening our homes up to strangers, um, to friends, to missionaries, um, and then doing large-scale hospitality, largely to international students uh, at our local university. Um, 
Yeah, that, and we've been doing that for 40 years because I was once a stranger. I was once a foreigner, a mm -hmm. foreign student. I appreciated the kind hospitality of the English people. Um, so, yeah, I would say uh, I, I do believe in these simple acts of kindness. And and what would you do this week? If I ask you to come up with one for this week. I, I, I think this week is already done. I, I think, you know, we've got uh, a, a young uh, girl here uh, who's just had a very difficult flight back from Nairobi. Mm -hmm. um, she'd been picked up. Uh, she'd been fed. And now I'm going to take an hour and a half drive and send her to school. Um, any last message, invitation, or question for the listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for those listeners who are professionals, who are uh, in, um, in business, you know, think about um, how to use your gifts and your talents and your resources intentionally to help a, a local entrepreneur build and scale his or her business. Because if each, you know, if 10 of us targeted a slum somewhere and we went in and built 10 businesses, uh, you know, with 10 local entrepreneurs and each one of these business end up employing 50 to 100 people. Hey, you know what? In four or five years, we'll see change. Yeah, you know, these times are always go fast. Uh, Kim. And, you know, any question that I should have asked you, which I didn't? No, I don't think so. I think uh, we've covered quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's always fun, you know, to to sort of um, think about some of these issues. Yeah, no, thank you so much for you know for who you are, for what you do. Uh, it was really a pleasure. I'm, I'm uh, I enjoyed it, and I'm sure the listeners as well. So thank you so much. No, absolute pleasure, Morris. Keep up the good work. Keep walking. <laughs> did you did you listen to that song Hundred Miles"? Yes. Yeah, you told me last time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. when when you mentioned your hundred miles, I thought, hey, there's this song there. You should listen to it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I can't but... remember who sang it, um, but uh, you know, it was one of these old pop groups. Yeah, no, no, I I don't remember also who who did it, but I know I, when you told me last time we spoke, uh, I, I searched for it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very good. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.